and traditionally, I don't want to say traditionally, it, it has become a tradition in a lot of different denominations where business meetings can be ugly. We don't want that to be the case for a business meeting. So I just want your hearts to be ready and right. Um, it's not to say that you can't ask questions at a business meeting, and it's not to say that you can't come with an inquisitive heart. But really, the question that I want you to be asking yourself in preparation for next week is, what is the attitude of your heart? Uh, because you have a week to really get that right now between you and the Lord. Uh, because if your heart is in the wrong place... Oh, no, I got one more, one more uh, announcement. I'm sorry. Uh, our ministry leaders, so kids, youth, BGMC, all that, uh, we are not asking you to prepare a written report for the annual business meeting, but if you can come prepared to present an oral report that we'll receive, we'll have a motion to receive, and uh, you can just share uh, about the current state of the ministry. So for our ministry leaders, there's that uh, little announcement. All right. Mindset. Mindset. How many of you want to have the mind of Christ? Amen. Yes. How many of you want to have a peace of mind? Not, not, not a peace of mind. A peace. Yes. A whole mind. Yes. Amen. How many of you want to have a mind that follows the Spirit? I do. Let's just take a moment, if you can, take both your feet, place them on the ground. Just take a moment, quiet yourselves before the Lord, and get ready to receive a word from the Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit promised by Jesus that we would lean in today to your word. Father, I pray that anointing would be upon my lips and our hearts. Give us ears to hear your word and a heart to receive it. And Father, I pray in advance that deposits, calluses that might have been built up from constant tension breaking in our lives emotionally and spiritually and that have mended incorrectly and painfully and obtrusively and have become malformed. Father, would you restore it? Would you bring healing to our minds, healing to our hearts today, I pray. And in Jesus' name, I ask all of these things together on behalf of these that are present here today. Amen. Amen. So today I want to talk with you about having a renewed mindset. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Great verse. I quote it a lot. Many of you probably could do, it, do that as well. Let me read it for you. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says this. Do not be conform, excuse me, do not conform 
to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the, everybody say this with me, renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Man, that verse is just chock full of answers. Again, the big question that you can maybe see here, in, implicitly asked is, how do I know what God's will is for my life? How do I know what God wants for my life? How do I know what Jesus' will is? How do I have the discernment of the Holy Spirit? How do I hear the voice of God? Well, we just got the answer straight from Paul's mouth in this book. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, then. You will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So don't conform to this world, but be transformed. This is where we really gotta, we've got to stay in the moment right, right now. Transform your mind. Action is so important. We're going to talk about action. We're going to talk about lifestyle. We're going to talk about conduct. But it will go absolutely nowhere and it will be absolutely meaningless, your conduct, your action, if your mind hasn't been transformed by Jesus, Amen. by the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, one way that you can act in accordance with the word of God without actually embodying and submitting to the will of God is when you take a pharisaical approach. And you might not even be trying to do that, but you might be trying to follow the letter of the law. This is what the Bible says. I have to do what the Bible says because if I don't, whatever, fill in the blank. It's more of a letter of the law. The spirit of the law says, wow, I recognize what Jesus has done for me. And now I want to live in a way that honors what he's done for me. Big difference. Can you kind of see the difference, right? Yes. That's a part of this. But your thinking has to precede your, your doing from this verse. Um, so that, that's kind of just the, 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 the broad landscape of where we're going today. Let's jump to Ephesians where we're going to get into this a little bit more precisely. Uh, about a year ago, we were going through the book of Ephesians, verse by verse. To this day, probably my favorite sermon series that I've been able to preach and the most informative and life-changing and spiritual for my life. Uh, well, I'm going to be taking a trip back in time, and we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4 in uh, and, and, and a small section, verses 17 through 24. So, obviously, we're not going through the whole book, so let me just remind you a little bit of the important aspects of this book. Paul is writing to a group of believers who are of mixed racial backgrounds. Broadly speaking, we'll just say Jews and Gentiles. And there was a lot of issues that potentially could have arisen because of cultural differences, preferences, um, an unwillingness to understand where the other was coming from, forcing particular cultural views upon the other, making each other feel bad. There wasn't real empathy and compassion. There wasn't a desire to be unified, which is in fact the theme of the book of Ephesians. The, the word unity is coupled with the word love all throughout the book. Paul's desire is that they would be united in love. United in love, united in love, united in love. The word love is used more in the book of Ephesians anywhere else than the entirety of the New Testament. 
Love is huge. Yes. And love's result is that there would be a people that are unified. Yes. Of one accord. And that unity comes and is found in Christ and Christ alone. It's not about agreeing upon a certain set of cultural norms at the expense of another. It's not about differing religious perspectives that we can come to one accord on. It's all about coming together under the work of Jesus. Amen. And that's it. So where do we find our common ground? Paul is writing in Ephesians saying it's in Jesus. Right? All right. And, and he gives a lot of context saying why we believe that, why it's so important in the first three chapters, what Jesus has done for us, how it breaks down racial, ethnic, religious, differing barriers and unites us. He talks about this unbelievable mystery that has been revealed in Jesus Christ, that since the beginning of time, humanity has not been able to solve a mystery. And it's within the context of reconciliation among different people groups. Everybody's trying to come up with a new form, a new world government, a new practice to say, well, if we can just do this, then we're all going to be one big happy family. And regardless of the attempts that have been made throughout time, Paul says the mystery of reconciliation has never been solved until Jesus. He has solved the great mystery. And we, as the church, are the proof if we're united in Jesus. That, that's kind of the big idea that we see just, just threaded throughout this book. In chapter 4, Paul now comes to a place of speaking in the imperative. He, he's getting ready to say, okay, so here's now how we ought to walk, is the word he uses, which is just another way of saying, let your conduct be, be lived out in this way. And he says in the beginning of chapter 4, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you have received. Walk, live in a manner, in such a way, that is worthy of what Jesus has done for you. Yes. So live worthy of the fact that Jesus has made you worthy. Be, yes. be in that. Live in that. Yes. And he's going to get into a bunch of the specific conducts. He talks about not maligning each other, not speaking language that build, that tears down but builds up, avoiding sexual immorality and impurity of any kind. He gets really specific in the action how-to. But even though he just introduced this, all right, we're going to get into the how-to, he takes one more little section for, for the first half of chapter 4 to still talk about, I still got to give you a little bit more why. Before we get to the how, I'm going to give you a little bit more why. And that's where we're going to pick up. Right here in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in the 17th verse, Paul says this. So I tell you this. And insist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. So let's break this down and let's talk about this. Uh, Paul first introduces this by saying, I insist on this. This is a non-negotiable. This is something that I need you all to hear and to act on. And here it is. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do. So there's a lot that we can infer from just that verse there. 
Paul is speaking to believers. Yes. People who have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So they are blood-bought, washed, cleansed, sanctified, redeemed, justified by the work of Jesus. They're walking as new creations in Christ. Right here, as Paul is saying. But he says, now you as a new creation in Christ need to ensure, and I insist on it, you no longer live the way that you once did. The way that the world is currently living. So we need to understand here, just because you believe and you are saved and you want to follow Jesus, doesn't mean that you still can't make daily decisions that are contrary to new life in him. That's right, Pastor. That's what's implicit right here based on what Paul just said. Don't live as the Gentiles do, and now he's going to give descriptions describing what does this lifestyle of the old self, the, the Gentile, the secular, the... The, the bad, wicked, sinful way look like. He says, well, number one, they, the way that they live is lived in a futility of thinking, a futile mindset, also a darkening in their understanding. Um, so right here, this really doesn't have anything to do with cognition, logic, ability to comprehend things. This has everything to do with morality. Morality. Paul is saying that there comes a point in time in our walk with the Lord where we might be tempted and we might fall into the trap of allowing so much of the world into us that we no longer are able to discern what God's plan is for us. Pre-salvation, post-salvation. It applies to both. So much of the world is getting in that this... The way that this comprehends what is right and what is wrong, not logic, morality, it becomes indiscernible. You, you don't know the difference. You, in fact, we'll get to it because you don't want to know the difference. That now you cannot distinguish the difference, which results in, God, I want to know your plan for my life, your will for my life. You're the discernment that comes from the Holy Spirit, what's going on? Why can't I hear you? Right here in this context, Paul is saying that a primary reason, a primary reason can be that you're still living with futile minds. So, here's the point. It's kind of going to direct all of this. How you think informs how you act. We have to start with our mindset first. If we leave here today, again, with just, this is what the Bible says, therefore I ought to do it, without understanding the, the, the reason, the intention, the heart, the, 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 the desire of Jesus for us to act in accordance with a certain rule or command or a way of life, we're missing the whole reality of the gospel. So how you think informs how you act. You could say this way, your thinking informs your being, who you are. Um, so rather than getting hung up on, on how we ought to act and therefore know God's will for our lives, let's just stop and let's just ask ourselves, what's my mindset? What's my mindset? Um, so he goes on and he says, uh, don't live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding. So now he's giving a, a subset, a, a further extrapolation of what is futile thinking? Well, it leads, it results in a darkening in their understanding. Um, 
This word conveys the idea, this is important, of a callus that serves as a, in one commentator's words, a, 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 a cemented that reunites two broken objects. So Paul's talking about the heart here, but, but think about the use of this word and what it represents. It has to do with a fracture, maybe of a bone. And when our bones are fractured and then the doctor resets it, there are some uh, chemicals and actually some pus that is exuded from our marrow in our bone that brings healing naturally. It's, it's a necessary thing. But a lot of times there can be calcium deposits or calluses, not skin calluses like you get from excessive work, but a different kind of callus that starts to build up around the fissure as it is being mended, which can cause pain in the future. And a lot of times people gotta go to physical therapists and get those calcium deposits worked out and broken up. Otherwise, they're just gonna continue to cause you pain and grief. Paul is using that imagery here to help us understand that so long as we, as blood-bought followers of Jesus Christ, continue to live a way that is contrary to God, we are being crushed by the weight of an insurmountable presence, God, that is going to break us. Yes. Because we're constantly trying to live in a way that is against Him rather than with Him. Right. And when you try to, now going to a weight metaphor, bench press God, He will crush you. Yes, He will. He will crush you. He's not a weight you can bench. He's not a weight you can curl. He's not a weight you can squat. He is always greater than anything we could do of our own accord. Yes. Paul is here saying that when we live in this way, contrary to God, you will break. But then there's a mending process that naturally occurs. It's going to naturally occur. The question is, is it going to be good or bad, righteous or wicked? godly or sinful. And Paul is saying there's a process that takes place when we are not with God through this breaking and this reforming. And now we become calloused. These deposits are now all over the, the fissures of where the division took place in our, in our heart, in our spirit. That every time we get near to the thing that broke us in this moment, God, mm -hmm. we're filled with pain mm. and hurt. And it's not because God is out to hurt us, and it's not because God is out to get us. But remember, what is Paul saying? Don't live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking, which leads to a darkening, a callousing of the heart. The only time that this callousing and this pain continues to happen is as long as we continue to live the way that we used to, in a Gentile, wicked mindset, contrary to God. Every time you try to push God away, it's going to continue to break you and hurt you because you're not with him, you're against him. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 14 through 16 says this, But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Yes. Here's different imagery that Paul uses. You all remember in the Old Testament, there was a veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the people and the outer holy place and the tabernacle. 
Well, do you all remember what happened when Jesus died on the cross? It said the veil was torn from top to bottom, signifying God has broken down that wall of separation from the divine to the created. All in Jesus. And so now that which we could not enter into the presence of because of the requirements of the law that we could not fulfill, Jesus has fulfilled. And now we are able to be in free, bold, gracious communion with God. And yet, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, there are still some that just reject God. Jesus, they think they're serving God, but they're following God their own way. And their hearts remain veiled, covered. And the will of God and the way of God is ever used. So let me give you this point. The longer we resist God, the harder it becomes to live. We keep breaking and hardening. Breaking and hardening and getting more calloused and more calloused and more calloused on our hearts. Because every time we're confronted with God, rather than submitting to his ways, the temptation is to go back to our ways, and now we break and we harden. Remember Pharaoh? Yes. It started with Pharaoh refusing God. And then I think it's twice that then it says God hardened Pharaoh's hearts. And then it flipped back and it said Pharaoh was hard-hearted against God. So it's not this sovereign manipulation against Pharaoh's will. It's, it's, a, it's a both hand. Pharaoh's saying, I refuse you, God. And God's saying, okay, since you refuse me, I refuse you. And Pharaoh says, okay, well, I refuse you. Hard, 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 callous, callous, callous. We keep breaking, we keep hardening as long as we resist God. And, and, and the, the irony of it is, we're doing it because we want to preserve a way of life. Paul says, don't live the way that you used to live as the Gentiles currently live. Live their lifestyle. How they are finding meaning and joy and pleasure and fulfillment. Life. He says, don't live as they do. In the futility of the thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. The irony is that life is and always will be found in God. But the temptation is when we are confronted with the reality of who God is that might be contradictory to a former way of thinking and living that we prefer, that we then say, no, because for me to live, I need to continue to be what I once was. And God says, no, for you to live, you need to follow my way. Yes. But if we're not humble, if we're not submissive, Break, heal, callous. Break, heal, callous. Ephesians is all about unity achieved through the love of Christ lived out. Um, let me go back before we move forward with these verses to verses 15 and 16. Paul says this. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Watch this, verse 16. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Yes. Paul gives us the imagery of who we are in Christ, a body 
supporting each other, yes. unified by his love. Yes. Every ligament, every joint, healthily supporting each other, growing and building each other up, following God's way, yes. his love. The Gentile way, the former way, the worldly way, breaks you. It robs you of life. And Paul is saying, you want life? Turn to Jesus. Right. Follow his ways. Okay. So, verse 19. Ooh. Having lost all sensitivity, they, using the Gentiles in their former way of living, is that which we ought not to follow the example of. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. All right. So the first part, having lost all sensitivity, keep, keep the imagery of broken, mending, calloused. Broken, mending, calloused. If I just use the calluses that are on the, the bottom of the inside of my, my fingers from, from exercising, um, I can tell you right now that the feeling and the sensation that I have when I rub it is so much lesser than just uh, a couple centimeters down on my hand. That is not callous, that's soft skin. Supple skin. As my wife, for some reason, always points out that I have such soft hands, especially the top of my hand. And every time she touches it, she just goes, oh my gosh, so soft. <laughs> and I don't even lotion. <laughs> it's not a very manly thing that you want to hear. And these hands work. Um, you know? First world problems. White boy problems. Um, having lost all sensitivity, those that live in their former way of life have lost all sensitivity. They don't feel the life of God, the love of God, the way of God. They are, in a manner of speaking, completely desensitized to the ways of God. But the reality is we're beings that so desperately chase feeling. We were created with it. It responds naturally within us based on the circumstances that we're in, right? We want joy, and that's a good thing. We want excitement. That's, that's a good thing. We want pleasure. That's not a bad thing. But the question is, to, to what end and to what purpose and how far are we going to go in order to attain those feelings? And Paul is saying, the, the, the longer you defy God's way, the more you break, the more you become callous to the point that you lose all sensitivity to emotions and feelings that God readily wants to provide you with. But now you can't get it from Him. So now... Paul shows us there, there's another way to get those feelings in an illegitimate, unbridled manner. He goes on and he says, Having lost all sensu uh, sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality. That word is important. Um, and you might think sensual, you might think, Snoop Dogg, sensual seduction. That's really bad. I shouldn't be saying that. You might be thinking something more sexual. That's not what this word necessarily means. It's a broad term. Very broad term. Um, that I'm just going to read for you straight out of uh, historical word studies that show outside of the Bible how this word was understood and used. And I've read this here before. Um, literally, it means, sensuality means freedom without boundaries. That there, there's no gate keeping us. There's no 
control. There's no helpful inhibitor. It's you, we've taken the leash off and we are running wild. And, and here's how it would have been used contextually um, in ancient Greek language. Um, documents outside of scripture, this word was found and it was used to describe a, a man who hit another influential man of high rapport, high standing with his fist just for the fun of it in order to cause a public spectacle. Think about how crazy that is. Like you just walk into a supermarket and you go find the manager of the store and you just deck him or her. Just, anybody see that? Anybody see that? Funny or, you know, like, <laughs> that'd be a bad day for somebody influential if somebody came and wanted to do that. It's also used, this term, to describe a Roman soldier who publicly ex exhibited his genitals in the Jewish temple during Passover. A public insult to the Jews. This word is understood as the performance of blatant acts with no consideration of self-respect or social norms, respect for others. It's doing something openly with absolutely no shame. Sensuality. It's not limited to sexuality. Sensuality, unbridled, unreserved, self-disrespecting, others disregarding of their respect, action. I do what I want. I don't care how I look and I don't care what you think about it. I do what I want. Because I've lost all sensitivity to feel certain things and now i got to go chasing and doing things that's going to cause me to feel that which I've lost. This word is used within scripture to describe sexual lusts, but also drunkenness, but generally speaking, as we've described it, unrestrained desire. Ultimately, this word is the representation of convincing yourself of this idea, I don't care what you think, what God thinks, or what anyone thinks for that matter, if I want it, I'll have it. So here is what Paul is saying right here talking about losing sensitivity and therefore giving ourselves over to sensuality. Um, here's what I think is really at the heart of it when we dig into it. When we try to pretend sin isn't present, we become slaves to our cravings. When we try to pretend that we are not living a way of life that is contrary to God's way of life, sin, we become slaves to our cravings. Again, because every time you are confronted with God and his person and who he is, and you say, no, break, you can't hold that weight. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God's not out to break you. He's out to carry you, yes. but you've got to submit to his yes. weight. Yes. And if you are not with him, believe me, you're against him. Right. The Old Testament is filled with examples of that. Revelation is filled with forthcoming examples and imagery of what that looks like. Man, God wants to save you. He wants to give you everything that he has reserved for you, waiting for us in eternity through Jesus. But as long as we continue to be self-deluded, Romans says that the wrath of God is going to be poured out. The wrath of God. 
When we try to pretend sin isn't present, we become slaves to our own cravings. When we try to say, this doesn't apply to me. When we try to say, I'm excluded from this conversation because... Be careful if any man thinks he is sinless, lest he fall. It's not about sitting here and putting together a tally sheet of how much you have or have not sinned over the last week. That's not what I'm talking about. It's not about putting together a tally sheet of how good and righteous you've been on paper over the last 5, 10, 15, 20 years of your life. It's about saying, Jesus, I need you. I need you today just as I did yesterday as much as I'll need you tomorrow. I'm living for you as best as I can, but no matter how good I am, my righteousness is like filthy rags before you. It's all because of your work for me, and that's it. So Lord, help me. Keep me humble. When we try to pretend sin is present, we become slaves to our own cravings. And I'll say it this way, you no longer own your cravings, but your cravings own you. Right. Addiction is a really easy application to, to fill in the blank right there. No, no, I got this under control. It's only every once in a while. You know, it's just what I got to do to let loose and, and just, you know, I've had a long week. I've, I've been struggling. And this, this, is, this is just, this is my medicine. You know, it helps me be a better father, a better husband. It helps me be a better man, a better woman, a better mother, a better boss. I, I got, you know, I got to do some self-care, you know. I got to go there and I got to do that. You're deluding yourself. Right. The word indulgence here is actually more literally translated occupation. <laughs> so let's kind of play with that. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to make it their occupation, so as to make it their jobs, to habitually convince themselves in a self-deluded manner that impurity and all forms of sin are good. Futility of their thinking. Don't live like they used to live. Don't live like you used to live as the Gentiles still do. This is, this is the futility of thinking fleshed out. Convincing yourselves it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. The last word that he uses there to, just, to, to kind of put the nail, hit the nail on the head, final nail in the coffin, whatever, is greed. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to make it their occupation to participate in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. It's the icing on the cake. There's your, there's your last cliche. This is bad enough, mm -hmm. Paul says, and all they do is ever want more. Yeah. It's greed. greed. Greed here. The biggest problem keeping us from experiencing more of God is our desire to experience more of this world, more of sin. Money. Is money evil in and of itself? No. no. no it's a tool. But can money become used for sin? Yeah. Sex? Is sex a bad thing? Heck no. <laughs> Misused? Very sinful. Yes. Power. Nothing wrong with power. 
God gave us authoritative structures and hierarchies. A lot of people don't like it. It's there. Submission is a part of it. There are some people that are going to have certain power in different ways, in different dynamics, in our lives, in our families, in our workplaces, in the government. It's not evil, but it can be used for evil. Accolades, self-recognition, family. Family can become an object of sin and selfish, fulfilled desires. Relationships, security. And you fill the blank with whatever that security looks like for you. Um, here's one, freedom from pain, a.k.a. health. Yes. Health's not a bad thing. Health's a good thing. What happens when your life is consumed with health? <laughs> here's a fun one that I'm going to say to my Pentecostals here today. What happens when health becomes the object of your faith and the motivation for your worship? Come on, my Pentecostals. Come on, my Assemblies of God believers. What happens when all we do is come to church and pray for that healing? And we're not content with the fact that God says, nope, I can, but nope, I got a different plan. How do you respond in that moment? What's your life all about? Greed or not? Comfort. Man, with Jesus, all my problems go away. I don't ever have to worry another day of my life. Everything is just going to be peaches and cream and a field of roses and a waterbed. <laughs> I have a bad back. I dream about the possibility of a waterbed helping with it. It might not be. Those that ever had a waterbed set me straight after service or confirm my desires. Um, yeah. It doesn't have to be anything inherently evil. We're not talking about bad things. We're talking about created, God-given things that have been picked up and now mangled and misused for personal desire yes. with never-ending, insatiable greed. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality expression of self without boundaries and without care. And I actually have made this my life's occupation, my goal, my practice to live this way. And I'm never going to stop wanting it. Mm. This is the culmination of what Paul is saying futile mindsets look like. Here's, here's another point. When we become slaves to our cravings, we are incapable of hearing and trusting. All right. Romans chapter 1 verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. God is truth. The weight of that truth confronts us. We can either submit to it and receive it or we can, I don't want anything to do with that. Get that away from me. You will break. You will mend. You will callous. And you will grow insensitive and you will become sensual with all of your ways with a never-ending desire for more. And, and the compounding effect is, is really detrimental because the threshold of feeling that you're now chasing always gets pushed a little bit further, a little bit higher, a little bit more out of reach. So in order for you to get the feeling that you are able to experience 
You now have to go to deeper depths. You've got to go to more wicked territory. You've got, more to go, you've got to have more greed in you. You've got to go out of your way to be more arrogant, more prideful, more addictive in your personality. This, this is the case with drugs and the way dopamine works in our heads. That's why it was always said that marijuana is the gateway drug. Because we know neurologically it is. Because you get used to it. You get used to it. And now it no longer has the effect that it once did. And now people go to harder drugs. We know that's the case with sexual morality, whether it be pornography or actual uh, explicit interaction, where, you know, I'm not trying to be too graphic, but people can, you know, enjoy soft porn and then it doesn't do anything for them anymore. And they got to go to hard porn. And I don't want to put imagery in your head. It's just, it's the reality. It's the way our minds are hardwired and made up, where that threshold keeps getting pushed further and farther out of reach that we're going to have to start climbing into utter disgusting territory in order just to start feeling. Because I am desensitizing myself by chasing a life that really is death. Because only in God is there life. Only in His ways are there life. Jesus Christ, I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. If you want to keep experiencing life yes. abundantly, yes. it's in Jesus. It's in Jesus. Yes. But you gotta recognize that, mm -hmm. and you gotta submit to that, and yes. you gotta adopt that as your mindset. Yes. It's in Jesus. It's in God. It's in His ways. It's in what He's done yes. for me. It's in who He's called me to be. It's in the life that He has set out for me. Keep going, verse 20. Paul says this. He kind of breaks the, the grim picture. He says, that, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. The new life that we've been given, the new creations that we are in Jesus has not only been provided us through him, but has been taught us by yes. him. Yes. He showed us the way. Yes. He gave us the means and showed us the path. Jesus has set the standard for my conduct, how I'm to live. Mm. So, so in other words, your conduct is inseparable from your calling. Mm. We cannot separate who we are in Christ from how we live. All right. mm -hmm. We cannot. We cannot say, thank you, Jesus, that it's because of you and you alone, and therefore all of my acts are meaningless, and therefore it is what it is. You know, I'm just going to, you know, if I am who I am, and a lot of my old self is still there, I, I shouldn't just hold myself in, in, in contempt because you've done it all for me. That's, that's a misuse of a, of a truth. He has done it all for us, right? We know that. But it doesn't relinquish us from a responsibility to respond. We know all that. Therefore, your conduct is inseparable from your calling. Let's keep going. Verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life. Paul's saying, okay, so what did Jesus show us? What did he teach us in order that we could experience life in abundance? You were taught with regard to your former way of life, the way the Gentiles still live, by Jesus, to put it off. Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And to be made new in the attitude of the spirit of your minds. Renewal. And so put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. 
So number one, Paul says, the way that Jesus taught us to live life in him, put off the old self. The imagery there and the words that are used are literally like put it, taking off a garment. You, you, you take off a jacket. It's winter, right? Everybody, most people have a sweater or a jacket. Or maybe you just braved it and you put on a hat. I wasn't brave like that today. I usually put just a hat on, but I put my jacket on too. And I walked a hundred yards from, not even from the house to here. It was cold. This is the imagery. The old self, take the jacket off. Lay it down. And do not pick it back up. You don't need it anymore. Lay it down. That's, that's step one that Jesus taught us towards living life in him. The second step, and, and, and this is what's important, it's an imperative that we do. Take it off. This is imperative, active, indicative. We're the ones who do this action. But the second step is this. Be made new in the attitude of your minds. This is a passive verb here. This is not something that we do. This is something that is done on our behalf. It's something, in other words, that happens in us and through us based on what we just read following the action that we've taken. So, so we, we take off the old self, right? We take that jacket off, that Gentile, wicked, whatever, former way of life. We take it off and we lay it down. And when we do that, Paul writes here, there's a renewing that takes place in our minds. When we take off all of those actions that we were running after with an insatiable greed, with sensuality, in order to feel, just because my mind's all over the place and I just got to feel life is so hard, so I'm going to keep pushing that boundary and transgressing further into darkness. When, when we say, enough! And we take it off and we lay it down. It's in that moment that Paul says, renewing of the mind happens. Catch this. It does not come, renewing of the mind, while we still have the jacket on, the old self on, and we go to church more. Or when we pray more. Or when we talk to people about Jesus more. Or when we worship louder. Or when we give more, whatever. Right. It doesn't happen when your family and your kids start serving Jesus and you're still holding that jacket. Come on, Pastor. You take it off. You lay it down. Renewing of the mind takes place. You have to take that first step. God does the rest. Amen. So the imagery um, that's there uh, to describe. Deceitful desires, going back to the first one, in, in regards to taking off that jacket, uh, or the old self. Put it off, take it off. Uh, deceitful desires or lusts of deceit, whatever your, your version of the Bible might say. It's, it's kind of the imagery that's, that's clear is if you're out in the middle of the ocean and you're dying of dehydration. And you don't have any water, but you're surrounded by a body of ocean. And the temptation might be, well, let me just drink that, but for... I think we all know, or maybe you know, or you're about to learn here today, salt water will do the opposite of quenching your thirst. It will kill you. Mm -hmm. It's not going to save you. But it's so deceptive because it's water. Yeah. And there's so much of it, and it's a sea that I'm surrounded in. That's sin. It has the appearance of life. And man, it might feel good. 
you might jump in and get cooled off, but the minute you start taking it into your being, yourself, your body, you start to die. All with the, the notion, but it's giving me life. Paul says, take that off. Lay it down. Put it aside. It's killing you. It's not saving you. Your old self, in its deceit, and it's deceptive, your old self is trying to get you to partake of something that looks like the answer, but really magnifies the problem. What are we talking about? Feeling, sensitivity, wanting to experience life in Jesus. But the more you follow and jump into that sea and drink that water of, of sin in the world, the more that you're growing desensitized to what life actually looks like. And the deeper you go and the further you go towards death. But it's, it's a constant deceit. Convincing you otherwise. Uh, so I've already said it and explained it, but sometimes the answer isn't adding more to our lives, but subtracting that which doesn't belong. God has life, and the way of sin wants you to believe that it has life. It's false. The final step is this. Be made new in the attitude of your minds and put on the new self. So, three steps. And now Paul is really hitting this home because he's speaking to believers. Yes. And that is their final step. He just recounted for them. Step one, you got to put off the old self. And you've done that, Ephesians. You've taken it off. And you're being renewed in your mind. But now, I want to encourage you, don't go back. Don't pick up that jacket and put it on. What do you put on? The new self. Put on Christ. Be imitators of Christ. Now, action comes. Yes. But action cannot precede our mindsets, the way that we understand who we are, we've laid aside our old selves. And now Christ has done a work in us through the power of the Holy Spirit, renewing our minds, how we, how, how we see God, how God sees us, how God sees others. There is an utter transformation that takes place here. And this heart that was once callous and hardened and antagonistic and against is now mended and healed yes, God. the right way. Thank you, Jesus. And those calluses and those calcium deposits yes. and those painful points that we so long categorized as being God's fault are now taken care of and healed by God. Thank you, Jesus. That breaking and that fissure of ourselves in our yes, mind yes. where we just can't seem to see ourselves in a proper way anymore. Or we just look at others with such vile contempt. And, and we just have such a problem with everything and everyone in this world. And God is no exception. When we finally submit ourselves to God, He radically transforms and yes. heals that brokenness. you're here today and you're wondering, God, why aren't you speaking to me? Or, I feel like life and joy and fulfillment is eluding me. I'm just living such a miserable, empty, difficult existence. If you're feeling that today, non-believer or believer, lean in. Receive the word of God. Yes, yes, 
That's for you and no one else. Receive it today. So the question that I would ask you in response to that question, God, why? Why can't I hear you? Why aren't you speaking? Why is my life just turned upside down and everything seems like it's against me? The question that I'll respond with is this. Is your mind postured for renewal? The only way that your mind is going to be postured for renewal is if you recognize the need to put off the old self yes. and allow God yes. to enter into your life. Don't jump to the action of I've got to do X, Y, and Z yes, to bring pleasure to God and my life will be better if again I pray more, read the Bible more. Yeah, that'll come. And that's life-giving. Life-giving and necessary. I need to do more of that. But it cannot proceed understanding who God is, what He's yes. done for you, and what He is asking you to do. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Don't go back to who you were. He has set you free. Yes. Walk in that. Walk in it. In the name of Jesus. Romans 12.2. I repeat it for you. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing and perfect will. Yes. That word transformed there is found only <clears throat> once in the Gospels. You know where it's found? The transfiguration of Jesus. Oh my God. Yes. Understand the implications of that. The transformation that Jesus experienced that absolutely shook Peter, James, and John. Yes. That left Peter babbling like a buffoon, yes. trying to come up with the right thing to say because he was in the presence of God. Yes. That transformation yes. is akin to what we experience through yes. Christ's work in us, yes. in our minds. Thank you, Jesus. The power of God at work in us who submit to His will yes. rather than fight it. Thank you, Jesus. The context of Ephesians is unity in love. When we have renewed minds, we're going to be able to see God for who He is. That's right. A life-giving, yes. all-powerful, yes. amazing God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Not a God that we have to define. Not a God that we can define. Not a God that owes us any answers. Not a God that we have the right to stand in a posture of arrogance saying, God, you ought to in order for me to. A renewed mind is completely free of that. It's not forced. It's forced free of that because it recognizes through transformation who God is. But then it doesn't stop there. Paul in Corinthians says, I don't care how you judge me. I don't care how I judge myself. I only care what God thinks of me. And when we're transformed in the renewing of our minds, that's all that matters. So, I, don't, I, I, I really could give a rip about what you think about me. Yes, right. 
If, if you think I'm not good enough, if you think I'm, I'm worthless, if you think I'm not going to amount to anything, if you think that I'm not meeting your standards, as long as I am following God and That's His right. standards, right. it doesn't matter. And it's not a response of, of prideful arrogance that you will respond to an individual like that with. It's saying, no, I, I just, I know who I am. I know who I am, and I, and I hope that you can likewise know who you are in God. Yes. It's not a response of contempt and, and, and anger and vileness. It's, I'm sorry you feel that way. I know who I am in Jesus, yes. and I'm free in Jesus. Yes. And I pray the same for you, yes. and I'll do what I can to help you experience Jesus yes. that way, God's way. But having a renewed mind also helps you see other people the way that God sees them. Yes. I mean, we live in a sea of sin surrounding us. We are the minority. Until Jesus comes, we're the minority Christians. I don't care what statistics say. Nominal or not in Christianity, we are the minority here. In faith speaking, eternally speaking. So the question is, how do you view the majority? What do they look like to you? Do you see vile, disgusting degenerates that ought to, I don't know, turn or burn, or maybe you don't go that far, but you still got a little bit of that in your heart? I, I know I do. I'm not, I am not excluding myself from what I'm saying right now. I've been praying regularly that God would help me see people, certain people, that I have in my mind and my heart, the way that he sees them. Yes. Created in the image of God. Because here, here's the reality. When, when it comes to us categorizing people mm -hmm. as sinners, we had better remember that so are we. That's right. Amen. Because when we find ourselves being overly contemptuous of individuals because of their sinful conduct, mm -hmm. and then we turn inward to ourselves and other believers in the church, and we say, saints, mm -hmm. sinners, you're forgetting something. We're all sinners, right. counted saints by Jesus. So that phrasing isn't wrong. Because of Jesus, we're saints now, absolutely. But recognize we are all sinners prior to the work of Christ. Right. And before any of that, we're all created in the image of God. Right. Every human being of any background, of any lifestyle choice, sinful or not, is created in the image of God. A worldly mind does not see people that way. Mm -hmm. A worldly mind continues to see people categorically and divisively and contemptuously. Mm -hmm. I want a renewed mind. Yes. How about you? Yes. If you are hopeful today, If you're ready today to say, God, I, I need you to renew my mind, yes. then let's pray that together. Yes. Let's enter into that moment together. I'm sure you struggle with it. I just said I do too. So I'm not shaming you. But we got to be real. It's not the way of Christ. So if you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we bring this to a close.
We're going to come before God right now. And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to transform our minds. And if you're here today and you want your minds to be transformed, I, I, don't, I don't want to ask you to do anything with your, with your body, with your hands, with a response. I want you, and I need to ask you, to respond internally right now. You've got to make this decision. You've got to make this decision today and every day after today. And even if you fall away from it, to be humble, to, to come back to the way of the Lord and to pray the prayer, Father, may I not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but would I be transformed by the renewing of my mind? If, if you want that today, then I just ask you, as I'm about to pray on our behalf before the Lord, make that decision. Make that decision. If you want to pray it in your own words, pray it in your own words. And I'm going to pray right now. Jesus, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You do not change. You always are, have been, and will be. Your ways are constant. Your word is truth, unshakable, unbendable. Jesus, we've been confronted with the truth today. We've been confronted with your word today. And now, Holy Spirit, I turn to you. I ask you, advise us right now. Speak to our hearts. Speak to our minds. And as we choose to put off the old self, and as you renew our minds right now, prepare us to put on the new self. To walk in truth. To walk in life. Father, I pray that we would be able to look at every human being and see them the way that you see them. Yes. Father, if there is any, any anger, any pride, any bitterness in our heart towards people groups, shed light on it right now. I pray that we would come under conviction, every one of us, for aspects of our lives that are incongruent with the life in Jesus. And then Jesus, I pray. I pray that our minds would be covered because the ruler of the prince of the air, the devil himself is constantly at work trying to foil your plans. And the only power he has is deception. Please keep us from being so easily deceived. Solidify our belief. Solidify our resolve. Give us courage. Give us faith to stand in truth and for truth found in you and in you alone, Jesus. Would we raise high the banner of the Lord our God 
for the enemy and all to see whose we are, who we serve. That would be a message for the enemy to stay far away from us. In Jesus' name. I want to invite you to stand with me on your feet. And today I want to say a blessing over you. A good old blessing that you know well. Yeah. And when I say amen, I say amen. That's it. You don't got to wait for me to say anything more. You ready? The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. Lord, make his face shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. Amen. 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 God bless you.